friends, anxiety warriors, brothers and sisters in recovery, welcome to 40,000 Steps Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Heimerman. Let's get this out of the way. I am not a licensed healthcare professional, not a counselor, not a doctor, not a lawyer. No, I'm a guy with 1,036 days of sobriety, and I'm a guy with the gumption to put his story out there. I mentioned that I'm not a lawyer because I have a lawyer on the podcast. Her name is Steph Williams, but beyond being a lawyer, she is also a triathlete training for an Ironman, and she is also a person who is early in recovery, which definitely resonates with me because check this out. It is, it is exactly three years ago that I checked into rehab. Whoa, how crazy is that? Very, very grateful to Steph for joining us. Grateful to have you along for this run because I'm looking out the window. It's a beautiful day to get our 40,000 steps in. So ready? Ready? Let's get it. fucking love this conversation. And I'm getting that F-bomb out there because if you're looking for exclusively warm and fuzzy PG-rated fun, uh, this episode is not the right place. Uh, We're going to talk about recovery. We're going to talk about early recovery. And like I mentioned, this is really important to me right now because I'm coming up on three years of sobriety. And I'm going to keep this intro brief because I think that this is the longest interview that I have put out there in this podcast. And I want to make sure you have enough time. So I don't want to gum up the works because I can be a little bit windy in these intros. I just want to point out that Steph is amazing. We had a ton of laughs, but there is some heartbreak in here. There's some heartbreak about the trauma that she's endured in her life, people that she's lost to suicide and a lot of the bumps that she hit in the road. And folks, I want to zero in on one of those bumps being that she has tried to get sober before she has tried to open up about her mental health. And she has been stopped by shame. She has been stopped by people telling her that, can you stop sharing your story? Because it makes me uncomfortable. So why is that? Why does it make you uncomfortable? It, you know, it begs the question because probably I'm just going to speculate here. I, I'm not a counselor, but I play one on a podcast kind of sort of. I'm guessing that these folks are uncomfortable because they got some shit that they need to deal with. But the bottom line is, you know, Steph is coming up on three months of sobriety and it, it meant the world to me to have somebody early in recovery who had the freaking cojones to come on this thing and talk about it. Well, here she is. She's living her very best life. <laughs> and look, it's not perfect. As she'll explain, she completely lost her shit, broke down and sobbed. To the uh, to the drum solo in in the air tonight by Phil Collins the day that we had this conversation, it's a lot being early in recovery. It's a lot being late in recovery, and it just it just breaks my heart that we put up these barriers to people sharing their story. It's keeping us in the dark ages. It's keeping people from from being honest. 
being honest with themselves, being honest with others and, and, and getting some help and creating a space where we all feel allowed to be our authentic selves. All right, before we get into this, Steph is training for an Ironman next year. How cool is that? Well, what about folks who are, you know, getting ready for their first 5K or they want to, they want to, they just want to do something. I want to talk about a partner of the podcast, Mindful Marathon, one of my favorite humans, Michelle Quirk. She is a running coach. She's an awesome, compassionate human being. She's got a 5K to promote and she's the presenting sponsor of this episode. So check this out. Welcome to race season, folks, and boy, do I have a 5K for you. It's the Mindful Marathon Spring 2022 Virtual 5K. It's the first of two races in the Run the Season series. Now, you probably know about Mindful Marathon and my very favorite running coach, Michelle Quirk. She helps you meet your running goals in a fun and simple way. Well, the first of her two events is this spring. You can run at any time between May 9th and May 15th. You're going to get a medal that will be the envy of all of your friends. In fact, there's a companion medal for the fall race as well. You get a visor and, and you're going to get a super cool 40,000 step sticker. I love stickers. Now, if you sign up for both races, you're going to get 10 bucks off your registration for both events. Now, while I have your attention, Michelle helps out runners from all walks of life. Whether you're looking to run your first 5K or if you're an experienced runner looking to improve your times, go to mindful-marathon.com. When you hit the homepage, look for that big purple button to schedule a free consultation with Michelle right now. What are you waiting for? To learn more about her and to learn more about that virtual 5K, visit mindful-marathon.com. All right, gang, get ready to laugh. Get ready to cry a bit. It's probably going to happen. Here's my conversation with my dear, dear friend, Steph Williams. How's it going? It's going. It's going. Masterclass. Tell me all about it. Sounds like a triumph. It's, yeah, I mean, it's basically just swimming really, really hard <laughs> for like an hour. And there's a lot, we do actually do a lot of technique though. So that's helpful. Yeah. I mean, it's how I've gotten so much better, really. Well, uh, you know, one thing I learned about swimming early on when I was just an anxious motherfucker in the water was that when I slow down and I relax and I stop trying so hard, yeah. I got faster. But you're in that place now where your effort is controlled and you yeah. can maintain your form, right? How cool is that? Yeah, no, that's the thing yeah, that I actually have been working a lot on relaxing in the water mm -hmm. because I am not, I didn't grow up swimming. I came to it with like total panic attacks. I would be, get in the deep end and I would be like, nope, I'm done turning around and just persevered and just kept, kept going, kept going, kept going. And the coach that I have now, we do a lot of, she calls Zen drills. And as a result, I have relaxed in the water. I still have relaxing to do. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, no, I'm definitely at a point where my, I just realized the other day, my ceiling is now my floor. And wow. it's because I have relaxed tremendously in the water compared to where I was. I still have, I still have a ways to go, but no, that you're absolutely right. The, the 100% thing is 
if you relax in the water. There's a book by um, Bonnie, hmm, I'm not going to be able to pronounce her last name, T-S-U-I. Um, it's called Why We Swim. And there's a whole chapter in there about relaxing and being, you know, the water, you can't fight the water. You just can't. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you start fighting the water, you start flailing. And that's how people drown is yeah. they, they flail. So, I mean, you're going to float. It's crazy. You'll, you will float, but you got to relax. I, I just like full disclosure, you are my second triathlete that I'm interviewing today. I was chatting with Danielle Lewis earlier, who's done a handful of uh, half, half Ironman, half Ironmans. Um, but she, uh, you know, she talked about water feel yeah. a lot. What I like to do before I get into the pool is I say, it's time to move some water. Like, I'm not going to fight you right. water. I'm just going to. I'm just going to displace you. Yep. That's all. <laughs> Absolutely. My, our coach right now, I, I say our, cause it's my husband's coach too. Uh, that's one of the things that we do. We do a lot of skull. She calls them sculling drills. So it's like, mo- like literally moving the water with your hands and feeling the thickness of the water. And you're right between, <laughs> you got to feel the water and you got to relax. And then the world is your oyster. Apparently. <laughs> I'm not going to pop my shoulder out of socket, patting myself on the back, but wow, I'm eight weeks in and I've actually figured a couple of things out. Yeah, you absolutely have. Yeah. Those are like actually pretty big things to figure out. Those are huge things to figure out. So well done. (laughs) Here's the thing that I'm stuck on right now is that like you always been a runner or had been a runner for a long time. When I take a kickboard and I work on my kicking, I go backward. And this is, uh, it is such cognitive dissonance because my legs are my, my, I'm going to say moneymaker, but they'll never earn <laughs> me a dime. No, that's, that's my yeah. strength. That that's, that's my, that's my power region. And we know we're finding out more and more about like the science of like forward movement being good for mental health. Yeah. So the idea of going backward. So let me tell you something. Uh-huh. I don't kick. I don't kick. Ah, I keep hearing this from some folks, but how do you kick. keep, how do you keep your legs from sinking then? Body line. Uh, mm. I also body position. I also wear, uh, something called SIM shorts, which okay. are, um, like virtual shorts? They're, they are, they're made out of wetsuit material. Okay. And uh, you, they're just shorts. And you put them on and they keep your hips up. Oh. And I have never not swam with them. And I don't think I ever will because <laughs> now, like, I only know how to swim with swim shorts. Um, and plus, I'm never, I don't, I'm never going to race a try that isn't wetsuit legal. So it's sort of like, eh, it's fine. I'm not cheating. Yeah. At, at some point, maybe I'll take them off to see how sinky, how sink route sinky my hips are. <laughs> um, because they probably, cause you're right. My, my, my legs are really heavy from my giant quads <laughs> from running. Um, and they sink and you are absolutely right. You just, you can't have sinky hips or sinky legs. Yeah. So, yeah. So sim shorts, get some sim. I, I also call them my floaty shorts, but literally Google sim shorts and you'll come up with a thousand options. Well, so far I've got Bonnie too, uh, yep. why we swim 
and sim shorts. I just ordered some flippers this morning and I ordered some new, uh, some new caps because I went to put my swim cap on yesterday and it, and it just snapped. Oh yeah. The good news is I don't have that much hair. In fact, I was joking with my buddy the other day. You can see this. Oh yeah, blood, look at that. The little bald spot. So I think yeah. I'm really, I think I'm more aerodynamic than ever because of yeah, that bald no, spot. No, I think you're right. So. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so when, um, you know, you were talking about the anxiety of just literally getting into the water. How long ago was that? So I decided to start swimming in November of 2019. Okay. Uh, and it was kind of a long game that was played by my husband and one of my brothers. He didn't realize it, but he did. And they were both sort of like, I think you'd like to swim. I think you would like to swim. Uh, but I mean, I was, I have been in on vacations when we would go um, uh, snorkeling and they had to give me a life jacket because I would have panic attacks putting my face in the water. I'm like, I'm not going to, are you kidding me? You have to really put your face in the water to swim. And my husband's like, just, you know, there's this really great coach. She'll get you all set. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. So I did. And my first lesson, I was, I don't know. I practice law and I have had trials and other things. I don't think I was as nervous as my first hearing as I was walking in to the pool mm -hmm. that first day of like, how is this going to work? The woman that taught me how to swim is not now my coach, but she's amazing. Very slow, very deliberate and was very, very kind, good with me. But even when I learned, I would literally get to the line. There's that line in the um, pool that marks the deep end from the shallow end. And you can see it, in the, at least mm -hmm. at the pools that I swim in. And I would see that and I'd be like, yeah, I'm good turning around. And I would never swim in a, a pool or sorry in a lane that wasn't against the wall i would yeah. go to the middle i was like i always have to be against the wall and so it was a really slow process of one step at a time <laughs> like one day at a time yeah like, oh there it is more. yeah, yeah. You just got to keep showing up right and i got more and more confident and i i can't tell you exactly when i moved into the middle lanes but I did at some point. And then the swim coach that I swim with now, she had um, a master's class, a slow master's class um, that I joined. And that first day I was like, what the hell? Like all these people are lapping me. Like what in the, I was so frustrated. Mm -hmm. I, I almost quit swimming. I was in tears, but I went back the next time and it just, one more time, one more time, one more time, one more time until I'm at a point now where I am just, I'm swimming. My, my Wednesday morning swim group has a woman in it who is an iron man and has qualified for the 70.3 world championships in St. Wow. George this year and lifelong swimmers. So it's just, I, I also clearly have some natural talent that I didn't realize. Yeah. Um, but it was also, I was never going to discover that natural talent if I hadn't just shown up mm -hmm. and just just kept persevering and that's sort of like my story my life right i'm just like i just mm. keep persevering i just keep showing up i just keep doing one more thing to stay alive to um be happy to take care of my mental health whatever it is so it's mm -hmm. a really 
um, it's a sort of symbiotic relationship. I believe that our friend Nita Sweeney, our uh, our mutual friend Nita Sweeney, put it best. It's on the cover of her book, "Depression Hates a Moving Target." Yeah, mm-hmm. always, always moving forward. I, as an aside, I uh, <laughs> I still, if I have the opportunity, I still take the outside lanes. This is completely mm-hmm. shifting gears for a moment. The reason why I do that was because one day I had an amazing swim. I felt like I was on cloud nine. I had, I had swam like a, a mile and a half. I went to get out of the pool and my, my foot slipped off of the ledge. And as I went to pull myself up, I pulled like a, a glute. Oh no. It was such a 42 year old man injury <laughs> getting out of the pool Yeah, <laughs> and it recovered in a couple of days, but now I'm like, fuck that. I'm, I'm taking yeah. the ladder. Yeah. I, I, I have no qualms about taking the ladder because I'm not in the business of getting hurt. Yeah. But so why th- it feels like this question answers itself, but why Iron Man? Cause you're looking at an Iron yeah. Man for next year. So yeah, I am. Um, and interestingly, I've only completed sprint tries right now. I'm going to do an Olympic distance this year and I, it's, it's the, it's the, I mean, People say marathons, when you're training for a marathon, you really get to know who you are. And then when you're out there running the marathon, you go through every single emotion that you could possibly have. And you kept, but you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And I think that Iron Man just kicks that up a little bit and (laughs) a lot, (laughs) let's be honest, a lot. And I like to do hard things because it helps me feel alive. If we do hard things, it proves that we are capable of so much, so many things that the the world is just out there for the taking. Yeah. And I think Iron Man is is just like the pinnacle for me. I have some other goals in like my back pocket now that I'm thinking about too. I too would like to do things like try to qualify for the 70.3 world championships. It's going to take me some time. It's going to take me a a few years just because I need to get the cycling power and strength. Mm -hmm. But that's like one of those other things. It's just like, why not me? Why not? I I, I saw one of your posts on Instagram and people should follow you. Steffers runner, S T E F F E R S runner. And I, and I'll, I'll link it all over in the descriptions and stuff, but it's this photo of you. I don't know how deliberate it was, but looking at the <laughs> bike, looking, looking at the bike, just befuddled. Like yeah. what is, what is this? No, gadget? that, that there was absolutely no intention there. That was my first in-person try because the other ones have all been virtual, but I did them. I did them like a real try. Um, the, the virtual ones. And that was my first in-person one. And I get to the bike and I'm like, oh like my God. Leonardo da Vinci, like yeah, flying like, machine. <laughs> what is this? Like, you want me to do what? You want me to put what? And I have to clip it. Oh my God. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I love that photo of me. I've shown my physical therapist who is a very competitive runner and he just loves it. He just thinks it's so hilarious. He's like, yeah, that sums up a runner moving, moving to try. Yeah. <laughs> He's like that sums it up. So a style question here, do I, and this feels like actor, do I refer to women as iron men? It so feels like it would be sexist to say It is iron sexist. Woman. Yeah. I mean, it's, it should be iron people because sure. there's some non-binary folks out there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a brand. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's a friggin' brand. I guess I'm just wondering for my purposes and like casual conversations, I would call you an Iron Man when yeah. that time comes. When that time comes, yeah. I will often bracket if I'm talking about Iron um, man, men that are actually women. I awfully often bracket the 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 W O, so it's Iron Woman because I mean they are they're Iron Women. We're Iron yeah. Women, uh, yeah. or I will be an Iron Woman, um, and I know lots of Iron Women. Are you looking at 70.3 next year or going for the gusto of no going? I, I will probably try to, I'll do the whole thing. I will, I will try to do a, uh, I will use a 70.3 as a training this fall or what? Nope. Probably not next year. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. So that <laughs> in the spring and then the full, the full something Monty like in that, the fall, yeah. something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's the, yeah. uh, that's the goal. Just go anyway. do it. Do it. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's kind of my pie in the sky thing yet. I haven't like said the words out loud yet of like, I'd like to do 140.6. I've said it to my wife and she has disagreed with me <laughs> given, given the time commitment. Yeah. And it's funny because like we did our 50 K last fall and we both trained for that. So like, there's a certain amount of like, we've touched the stove of like training for such an undertaking. So we know what goes into it. We'll figure yeah. out how it would work logistically. Yeah. There was something, you know, that you referenced before in terms of we do things that are hard, you know, because we like to feel alive. We like to feel that pain and that and that validation of doing something hard. You know, I, I recently had Ashley Perkins on the podcast and she talked about through We Matter Too that that organization amplifies voices from all stages of recovery. So the old, you know, guy at AA who's got 40 years of service and will like, you know, tell the the kid with two months next to him, you know, that he's, he's spilled more alcohol than the kid is whatever horseshit things like yeah. the boss that AA is ingrained in society. Or, I mean, they have people who are like, who are just coming out a week after giving up drinking or, or having just seen their first counselor and amplifying their stories. The very next day, you know the story, but for, for everyone else out there, the very day after I edited that episode and did my intro about I'd like to have somebody in early recovery on the podcast, the very next fucking day, you emailed me. It's sheer insanity. And these are the sort of coincidences that I personally have noticed since I got sober almost three years ago. There's a caveat that comes with getting sober. There's so many beautiful things. We start feeling all of the feels, a lot of the good things, yeah. which even those can be hard to bear, like that the extreme happiness. Yeah. But I mean, when you talk about like the pain of an Iron Man and how all of these feelings are going to be burning white hot, like where are you today with this? How are those, how are the feelings feeling? Uh, it's funny. I, I was actually driving home from my swim class today. And Phil Collins in the air comes on the radio and I turn it up. I really like that song yeah. and I turn it up and I'm driving. It's a beautiful day here. Sun, you know, the sun's out, windows down, the whole thing. I'm listening to that song, really enjoying myself. And that part comes where he, the, you know, the beat drops. <laughs> yeah. The drums. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like tearing up. Yeah. Why? Yeah. I got, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm like, I, why am I feeling this like everywhere? Um, no idea. I, I have found that the, I was almost re more ready, I suppose, for the harder, like the, the, um, the, I, I guess, depression or the anxiety, like that piece of it. Cause I've been dealing with that forever. I wasn't 
prepared to feel this immense joy and happiness like Mm -hmm. through my body in part because I haven't felt that in three, four, five, I don't know how many years, right? Just like that level of just pure infectious joy and happiness. And so that was really surprising to, that has been, it still is very surprising to me and having conversations with people and just like totally in the moment with them and having just, I, 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 I can't even explain it. I don't know how to explain it's it. It's sensory overload. Yeah. Yeah. And I am much more prepared. So one way that my depression manifests is just talk about white hot, white hot anger. And so I have been like, oh, this is just, this is something I've been dealing with. I know how to deal with white hot anger or frustration. Oh yeah. I I know how to deal with that. But the, 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 I suppose good Mm -hmm. of it. I, I'm Mm -hmm. like, what in the actual fuck is this? Mm-hmm. What is this? It, uh, it's very strange. Like I keep saying, and I feel it. <laughs> I want to cry. Like uh, this driving home from my swim class today. Like I'm just, I was just in a really, I had a really great class. I, it's a beautiful day. I'm not going to walk the dog. I'm like, oh, this was a great day. And the song comes on. I'm just, oh my God. Like, why am I, <laughs> why am I on the verge of tears? Like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> right. this. is This is very inconvenient. This is very inconvenient. <laughs> Very inconvenient. I'm going to take a moment here and talk about one of the sponsors of the podcast, Gateway Foundation in Aurora, Illinois. I learned in rehab at Gateway Foundation that being an alcoholic didn't make me a bad person. It made me a sick person and no different than someone with cancer or diabetes. And during my time at Gateway, I started finally getting healthy again. Folks, we're living through stressful, unprecedented times, and the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with that stress and anxiety, it's stronger now than ever before. Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient, as well as virtual programs, so you can access the help you need from the privacy of your home. Don't wait to get the help you or a loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE. That's 877-505-4673 to schedule a free confidential consultation. Or you can visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help that you need today. And back to our conversation. Now we were talking about the amazing stuff that's happening. We're talking about the the uh, joy and the the privilege and the the blessedness of of having all this this joy and happiness. Are you are you comfortable going back and talking about some of the shit that you that you've gone that you've been through? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I was born in. <laughs> yeah. I I grew up in Utah and I wasn't Mormon, so we'll just start now. Um, uh, I yeah, as a kid. Um, I, uh, my brother, Troy, um, died, uh, very traumatically, uh, when I was nine and he was 15. Uh, he, it's, it's unclear whether or not he died by suicide. Um, one of my brothers thinks it might've been suicide because my parents, specifically my mom is, is and was 
abusive. Uh, and when Troy died, the newspaper printed a story about him. Uh, he, so I lived in Utah, I grew up in Utah, and we lived on uh, a bench of a mountain. And Troy loved the mountains, love, love, love the mountains. And he was up there all the time exploring. And at the time, there were, uh, I don't know what you call them, like towers, electric towers. He climbed up one and lost his balance or and grabbed the wire. And 100,000 volts went through him. Oh, my gosh. So it's unclear yeah. You know what really happened and the news local newspaper printed a story that indicated it was suicide. Oh. And my parents like flipped their shit yeah. and whether or not it was because there was some validity there. Yeah. I don't know. I I honestly I my my thought on it is that Troy did not die by suicide because he was very protective of me mm -hmm. and he was sort of my, my my two other brothers are 10 and 12 years older than me so they were basically out of the house yeah. they, they, they were it wasn't basically they were at college when troy died and so i think troy was trying to protect me from some of the terribleness that my mom uh was gunning for 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 me and so uh i that's what i think and then I, I know that one of my brothers has a different opinion and, or, or did, I don't know if he still does. Are you saying that you can't imagine that he would uh, complete suicide bit because you knew that he would, that he wanted to be there to protect you? Yeah, I, I, that's my, that's my opinion, but you know, yet I, I, I have been in there myself, Yeah, you know, and you are not, thinking <laughs> you're not thinking that oh i need to protect so and so you're it's more of like all i am is a burden yeah. and yeah. if i'm not here then this will be a, no longer a problem mm -hmm. um and so i don't know for sure but well and there there there's a dangerous like line of questioning that this might follow if if i hadn't gone through this as, as well that i'd be like oh were there any warning signs was there anything that yeah. bullshit you know, yeah. I mean, if we haven't learned by now that so often it's the folks who we would least suspect are in pain yeah. and we haven't learned yeah. anything, this is going to, this might sound as a cold question, but that there's, there's a literal aspect to this question that I want you to consider. Why would it matter if it was suicide or would it matter? It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. And, and it, I can say that now. I don't know if 15 years ago or 20 years ago um, that that would have been an okay thing for me. Mm -hmm. um, I can say that now. It, it, it doesn't matter. It, if, if he was in that much pain, yeah. you know, I, <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. Um, so yeah. So that, I mean, it, it was, it was really, he, it was very traumatic and it was, there was, um, and then what followed was my parents, um, like I said, my two older brothers were out of the house, but what followed was my two parents, my parents rather just abdicating responsibility for me. Mm -hmm. I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. The one thing I will say that they did do right, um, is they threw me into therapy. Okay. So there, that was done right. But, you know, I was, I was on my own. 
Like no one was taking care of me. Mm. I mean, I mean, they weren't like I was being fed and clothed and off to school and sort of like the those kinds of needs being met. But when you talk about like, let's talk about the fact that you know Troy died. Mm-hmm. Nope, like none of that. There was there was no talk. There's still there's still no talk of him. Um, I'm I'm the one that's the most vocal in my family, even with, with my um, two brothers, uh, and. So that was terrible. And then I was like 15, 16. I was starting because Troy died when he was 15. I was starting to have serious like depression and I was not well. Mm -hmm. And I had to tell my parents, hey, I think I might need to go back to that therapist. Right. Remember that? Like, I think I'm not doing okay. Mm -hmm. And it just at this, it didn't just my spiraled, you know, my life just kind of spiraled. But to your point about the people that you least expect, right? I, I graduated from high school, did very well in high school, did very well in college, went on to law school, did all these things like very, if you look a very, hu- very, very high functioning, fucked up person. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like, <laughs> so people who find out like now, for example, that I have suffered with depression and suicide, uh, and, or, suicidal tendencies and anxiety and, and, you know, alcohol abuse disorder and an eating, I mean, like just, they're like, Oh, you, you, right. you, this is a, yeah, no, actually I, 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 I don't want to discount the people who can't get out of bed, mm-hmm. but I sometimes worry about the people who do get out of bed yeah. and do go on and, and maybe because that's what I know, yeah. but those people, I, going back to my trauma, one of my best friends died by suicide six years ago, had a kid, the whole thing, had a, the whole thing. Everybody's like, Oh, what, how did, yeah, yeah. Because he was, he was, he was suffering and he was really, really ill. And he thought that this, I, I don't know for sure, but I can guess that, that he thought this was the best yeah. solution. When you said, when um, you said you went back to your parents and, uh, and said, look, I, I need, I need, you know, counseling. How old were you? I was, I, I was either 15 or 16. I can't remember exactly. I think I might have been 16 because I had lived and Troy didn't. Mm-hmm. And I have this like vague recollection of thinking, well, how come I get to live? And you being his age, the age he was yeah. when he passed away. Yeah. So you had the you had the awareness that there was something distinctly wrong and that you needed some help. Did Were, were you able to get back into counseling at that time? Yeah, I okay. did. Yeah. So that, yeah. That's good. Yeah. I mean, this this journey is a roller coaster. You know, as we know, recovery is not linear. Uh, how do things play out? Does you uh, did you go to college right after high school? Or yeah, I went. I went. Interestingly, actually, I went to a small. So I went to a private high school and grade school where everybody knew everybody. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, maybe that's what I want to do in college. I want to go somewhere where everybody's going to know everything about me because that's what I know. Turns out that I hated that, <laughs> and so I uh, it was a private or liberal arts school in Idaho that I went to for a hot second. I left <laughs> Idaho. I know. Right. Uh, it's, I think it's the college of, I think it might be called the college of Idaho. Now uh, I, at the time it was called Albertson college. Um, so I was there for a semester mm-hmm. and I was like, Nope. Uh, and I, it didn't help that I had a blowout with my roommate. And so I, I moved, I moved back to Utah and took the rest of that semester off and then had to work my, ass off to graduate on time because I transferred to the University of Utah. And so my 
my experience in college is very strange because when people think of going to college, and this is not just a Utah thing because Utah's kind of weird with because it's Utah, but I didn't have friends in college. Okay. I had no friends. I had no friends. I had a boyfriend, um, but and he had friends that I would hang out with him occasionally with, but I had no friends. Hmm. And so <laughs> there's that. And, and, but I just, you know, I, 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 I worked and I went to school and then I decided to go to law school in part, I think, because I was like, I need, I think I need, might need to make friends. <laughs> I don't think that it's normal <laughs> that like a 21 or whatever I was, 22 year old has no friends. And, you know, I had friends that I went to school with mm-hmm. from high school. They went to different schools. And so so I, Look, just I, didn't I have friends. I'm going to ask the question. Why not? <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's funny because in college I had a very specific circle of friends that, that I cure I curated them very deliberately, and I've always kind of been that way. Where where generally I'm uncomfortable around a lot of people, but the people like in my tribe, I've always been like almost like borderline inappropriately close with, (laughs) you know what I mean? But you did well in college then. Yeah, no, I did. (laughs) I mean, if I'm not doing anything. (laughs) (laughs) That was my assumption. I mean, I mean, I had, I would say I'd had acquaintances, you know, I I, I worked at a bagel shop for a while and I had some acquaintances there. And we, like one time I remember going to a club with them and that was about it. Um, And then I, after I worked at the bagel shop, I worked at a law firm and those people were great, but they were like, you know, old man, they were like 40. <laughs> so yeah. like, they weren't my friends, but they kind of were, yeah. they were like really like my only friends. And yeah, so I did well. And I, I went to, I was like, oh, I guess I'll go to law school. I was, I had an English degree and I'm like, Oh, I guess I'll go to law school. Um, what the hell am I going to do with an English degree? And I, I came to Maine and I loved it. And then I was like, I guess I'm just going to go to law school here. And law school was terrible, is terrible. Mm-hmm. And they, there's a reason why lawyers get spit out and they have all kinds of mental health issues if they didn't even enter with them. Mm-hmm. And my third, if not my second, my second and third year of law school, I was not well. Mm-hmm. I was not well. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I've been numb. <laughs> I was numb for most of my life, um, but I was also not well. And I was, I wasn't in, in any kind of therapy at the time. And I was starting to have suicidal ideation and it wasn't good and it, but it just got worse and worse. And I didn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. My um, then boyfriend, now husband, when we got engaged, it was a year after we graduated from law school, he like my, like I said, my, my depression manifests mostly in white hot anger. And there was just like, (laughs) it was like months of white hot anger. And he's like, and he knew, he knew I had a history of depression and he's like, you are not well. Mm -hmm. I am not marrying you if you don't get well. And so I was like, Oh yeah, maybe I should. (laughs) I mean, he was, 
That's a very healthy optimi- uh, ultimatum. That's if only <laughs> yeah. if only we all had that person who drew a line in yeah. the sand and forced good mental health on us. Did, did, yeah. did he have any experience with mental health issues, like anybody in his family or anything? So his his dad um, died uh, when he when we were after we were married, but he he had uh, very severe alcohol use disorder. He was like you know what we we think of of an alcoholic. Um, uh, functional again, functional, but, um, he, so he grew up with that and that experience of seeing what that did to his mom. Um, and you know, as a teenager being asking his dad, Hey, maybe you can't, well, how about you not drink tonight when my friends come over? Mm -hmm. Um, so he, like he had that, um, in his, uh, sort of, uh, life. And so he knew that, this is like, you know, so, it turns out sometimes, sometimes these things kind of just follow each other. I, I've joked with my therapist. I'm like, it's, I guess it's not, it shouldn't be a shocker to me that I married the son of an alcoholic. Yeah. Like, I was, I probably had my, my antenna up. I'm like, ah, oh, who, who in this room, in this law school room has a, has a dad or a mom that was an alcoholic because I'm probably <laughs> headed there. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so, yeah, so my husband absolutely recognized it and he was I, I am one of my best friends as well and I think that had I not agreed to get help they were going to absolutely hospitalize me 100% so well, when when did you guys get married how long have you been married two uh, it'll be 15 years this no uh October okay so 2000 and what seven yeah is that the right I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to piece because the, there's obviously a a a significant gap there. He tells you that you need to get some help for your mental health or, yeah. or he won't marry you. Mm-hmm. Guys got married 15 years ago. Does that, does this yeah. mean that you got some help at that point? Yeah. I mean, well, yes and no. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was in the middle of planning a wedding mm-hmm. and I was like, I can't add another thing. <laughs> you kidding me? Yeah. Um, but he was like, all right, but here's the deal. If you don't like 100% promise me, then, you know, I'm, we're done. Like this is, this is done. And I, and, or I'm just going to throw your ass into a hospital because this is where we're at. Um, and so I, I basically right after we got married, um, it's it's funny. I, it's not funny. I, once, once I entered therapy, it was right after re-entered therapy, right after my wedding, I remember telling my therapist it's like people are supposed to be happy at their wedding, right? Like that's a thing. Like people are just like feeling utter and complete joy. Like that's that's like the right thing, right? And he was like, "Yeah." I said, "Cuz I it could have been just been Tuesday at the at the you know, at the at a coffee shop and I was just dressed up." Yeah. And he was like, "Okay." <laughs> And I, and I've told my husband that story and it absolutely breaks his heart. It absolutely breaks his heart. But it's, but it's hard, but it's hard to explain to him that it's, it, it's, it's not you, it's me, honey. Right. That it, it yeah. had nothing to do with the man, the man you were marrying that day. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, had nothing, absolutely nothing to, nothing to do with that. It was absolutely numb. this sickness that I, it, that was eating me alive yeah. and it, it, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it's, it's like, I, I can feel it now of like how it makes, like, I'm like 
I might cry because it may, because now like knowing who I am now, mm-hmm. listen, I got a lot of shit still to work through, but I know that, um, if I were to get married, if we were to get remarried today, totally different. Yeah. Like, you know, especially coming off of alcohol, I'd be like, Oh my God, I'm going to be a crying mess. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> Kayla and I have had the discussion of renewing our vows because I similar with our wedding, similar, but different where I was massively hung over the day of our wedding. We definitely want to, you know, we want to revisit that so that we can capture the joy that might've been missing yeah. that day. Yeah. So you get back into counseling and, and things improve. Yeah. I mean, so I, 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 I now know what we were trying to do then mm-hmm. was to get me to survive. And that was really, that was the bottom line yeah. because there was, I, my husband had some, uh, had a health issue and we had like hardcore opiates in our house for his pain. And I would like open the medicine cabinet. I'd be like, Oh boy, this would be so easy. This would be so easy. So the point was really to get me to a point of surviving Mm -hmm. and working on that. And actually that was reason. That was the reason why I ran my first marathon was my therapist, I, I grew up running and my therapist was like, you know what, we might want to, we might want to get you doing something here. Maybe, maybe like, let's channel this, this running that you love to do into something. And so I ran my first marathon as basically a tool in my, um, trying to survive toolbox. And as a result, it's just, it has stayed, <laughs> stayed as a, as a, as a tool in my toolbox. When did you run that one? 2008. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it was, it was, I mean, I, I don't really remember training very much for that. I do remember one point of being like, oh, this is what living feels like. I like ran into this guy like mile 18 and we were just chatting Mm -hmm. for two or three miles. And I was like, this is, this is what this is what living is. This is what it feels like to live. Okay, yeah. cool. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, and then I stayed with that therapist for, I don't, I, I honestly can't remember how long. Um, mm. But at some, I came at some point, there was some reason why I was like, oh, I, I'm, either I thought I was fine. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm good. I'm healed. Thank you very much. Yeah. Or I don't know. I don't remember what happened, but it was, it was years. But of course you feel fine in the moment. It's the same reason why we want to get off of our meds too, because it's like, well, I'm better now. It's like, well, you're, you're better. You're better now because of what you're doing. Yeah, Um, exactly. And that's such a taffy pull when figuring out when to go down on your dosages or when to see your therapist less frequently, because we are subjecting ourselves to this potentially blowing the fuck up in our face. Exactly. Yeah. However, wouldn't it be nice? To, to take just a little bit less. All right, let me take just a second and pump up one of the partners of the podcast, DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. Folks, if you or someone you love might have an issue with drinking, drugs, mental illness, or anger management, it's time to get in touch with my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. It's time to set up an assessment. You've got nothing to lose. Depending on your situation, the assessment could be free. 
My friend Ron Parts and his team use their 25 years of experience to build an individualized treatment plan that's confidential and effective. They approach people in distress with respect, and I cannot stress enough how important that is to feel respected when you're going through something. DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers has offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. Check out DUISycamore.com or call 815-895-9000 and set up an evaluation today. Write this down, folks. Call 815-895-9000, visit DUISycamore.com, or you can email DUIBHS at gmail.com. All right, back to our conversation. Here, here's something interesting. As you said 2000, I was like, holy cow, that was forever ago. And I'm like, I ran my first half marathon in 2009 and my first marathon in 2011. So very similar timeline. The the, the feeling that you expressed about feeling yeah. deeply connected with somebody <laughs> in a race, for me, harkens back to spring of 2019 when I ran a marathon the day after I got out of rehab for alcoholism. And yeah, I, you know, I, I wrote my memoir about that entire experience mm. because of like all of the deep feels and all the connections with people while I was out there. So you had a lot of that back in 2008. Well, I had a moment. No, I had a yeah. moment. <laughs> okay. let, let, let me be clear. I had a moment. Yeah, I had, I had a moment because what I now, what I now know is that I, I was surviving. Yeah, I mean, the, right. the, I was really baseline and have had been for many, many years after I ran my first marathon, I was surviving, um, which is good. You know, surviving is good. Um, but there's this whole other thing about thriving and, and I realized that only since I stopped drinking, uh, so whatever, 70, whatever days ago that was, (laughs) um, uh, that I think that I have not been thriving. I, mm-hmm. not that, I mean, and, and listen, like someone's going to listen to this and be like, what the fuck? Like you run marathons and you're a triathlete. Oh. Isn't that thriving? Well, I mean, that, not really, but, but it's, but it's, <laughs> but it's that mentality. And I, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but it's that mentality, that comparison game that keeps people living in their own personal hell. Yeah. Cause like, okay, well, what, 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 how bad does it have to be? for you to say that surviving wasn't enough. Yeah. And so I just, I realized that there's, there's more. And I had a taste of it back in like 2016, 15. Mm -hmm. I, I, at the time was at a terrible law firm, terrible. I just, everything you think is wrong with law. It was that place that where I'm at now is awesome. Awesome. But, um, that place was terrible and I was drinking a lot mm-hmm. and i realized this is unsustainable this is absolutely mm-hmm. unsustainable and so without any sort of real concept about drinking or like the knowledge that i have gained in the last uh several weeks um i was like oh i should probably not drink as much i need to i need to reconsider this choice of working full time as a partner at that law firm i need to reconsider these choices because this is going to kill me i'm going mm-hmm. to end up back at the spot where i was in 2006 7 um, 8 where i was potentially going to kill myself and i got to figure this shit out and so i made a decision that i was going to do something called go of counsel which is just just like kind of being like a part-time lawyer basically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And then this, the firm that I'm at now recruited me away, whatever. Um, but during that time, I started doing some things called, or uh, I started going through a um, like a health coaching program and doing a lot more reading, uh, self-help books reading, honestly, you know, uh, uh, if there's a self-help book that was published at that time, I probably read it. I felt like I was moving toward my authentic self and I was speaking up about my story. I, I did something in 20. 17, 18, I did a, like a, like a small, like a small Ted talk kind of a thing about my, um, mental health and Mm -hmm. that I realized that I needed more help. I needed more support. My friend that died by suicide in 2016, I was like, Oh fuck, this could be me. Like, this is the thing that's going to probably send me over the edge if I don't get help. And that was the moment I was like, I need, I need more help. But I was also sort of like moving towards this like health coaching, life coaching thing. And it was like, it's like, like glimmers of, of my authentic self. And Mm -hmm. so I felt that I felt that. And I was like, this is cool. This is super cool. And then I, I was very open. I was very open about my mental health for two or three, two or three years, maybe, Mm -hmm. including doing this story. Uh, a speaking story thing. And I then received, I, I won't say who, but I received an email from somebody that I care about very deeply who was like, you need to stop this. You need to stop doing this. You need to stop talking about this. And I did. I did. And so I shut back down. What was the, what was the reasoning why you had to stop? It's, uncom- it's uncomfortable. Yeah. No, you know, like, why are you doing this? Right. I don't want to know about this. Yeah. Um, My cursor still hovers over the post or send button most times when I talk about this. Yeah. Which is, which is utter horseshit, but I mean, it's, it goes to show we've come a long way, but you know, we're not all the way there. So, so, but in like 2018, you, you did cease and desist. Yeah. Basically somewhere around there, 18, 19. I can't remember exactly, but I did, I did. Yeah. Cease and desist. That's a really good way of putting it. And I, it might've been earlier than that. Those are things, things go downhill from there. Yeah. I I mean, I, yes. And it's only in reflection that I realize how bad things get. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I'm running marathons completely and utterly depressed and not realizing it Mm -hmm. and doing it because, oh, this is what I do and miserable the entire time. This, and I love, I love running. Mm-hmm. and you know just being completely numb yeah and you know not and, and there was times when my my depression moved into the can't get out of bed but not really can't get out of bed it's just like i'm not going to leave the house and this was before pre-pandemic not leaving the house um i remember my husband went away for a um a work thing and he was gone for about five days and I was like, oh, sweet. I don't have to leave the house for an entire week, basically. This is, right. I don't have to get dressed. I don't have to shower. I don't have to eat if I don't want to. I can have a bottle of wine or more. And there's no one here to say I can't. Not that he, not that he's like that, but it, at least there's like a little bit of an accountability oh, check. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you could turn it loose, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. No, no, like, side eye of like, 
Uh, I think you might you might be taking it. Yeah, you yeah, might be just, taking. Well, what is this? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about the guy who was like, "I'm not marrying you if you don't get help." So, yes. Yes. I mean, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and I think now, even during the pandemic, I I'm I'm actually I'm an introvert. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is great. And talking to my therapist, like, oh, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me as an introvert. I don't think that was right because I think that what I was, I was doing, even though I was saying all along, um, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I was not fine. Mm -hmm. I was not fine. I was drinking like, like a lot of people, a lot of people were drinking a lot, but I was already drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was drinking even more. And as a result, my anxiety was through the roof. My absolute and utter willingness to participate in life. eh, It was not, you know, I was like, Oh, I have to do something for work now. Ah, (laughs) Crap. Um, It was non-existent. And I, and I, like, I realized that now, when did you get involved with Still I Run? I've been following them forever. But this this is your first year as an ambassador, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and I I said uh, I I think I I might have mentioned to you that that I realized things had gotten really off. I mean, I, I had a therapist, and my therapist didn't realize how badly I don't think things had gotten off have had gone off the ra- uh, tracks, and I was pretty drunk one night. Um, if I'm being honest, when the applications for Still I Run came out and mm-hmm. I was feeling particularly vulnerable at the moment and I was brutally honest in my submission and they accepted me. And mm-hmm. I am, I'm so happy that they did because you know what it did? It meant, it meant that I had to be reopened, if you will, yeah. about my mental health. Mm-hmm. And I received the, I received the, um, congratulations or whatever email on like, it's like the second gin blossoms album. It is. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Congratulations. Right. Oh my God. You have all of these problems, but you know what? Awesome. No, um, but no, I, I, I remember receiving the, the, uh, congratulations email. It was like a, I don't know what day it was, but it was in December sometime. And I remember getting it and I was like, Oh shit. Oh now it's, now it's real. shit. Oh shit. And I remember after even submitting it, I was like, they're not going to take me. So, it was probably riddled with errors because I was drunk. Eh, they're not going to take there, me. There's something so funny about this because we've always had like the mornings after a bender of like, oh my God, who did I text? Oh my God, what did I say? Yeah. In this case, it was like, oh my God, what, God. Men- what mental health support organization did I apply for? <laughs> what did I just do? <laughs> And I honestly sat on it for, I didn't tell my husband for, Mm -hmm. I don't know, three or four days. Mm -hmm. I sat on it because I was like, I don't know if I want to do this because that one person who told me to shut up is a follower of mine on Instagram and a Facebook friend as well. Um, And I was like, that person is not going to appreciate this. And then what is it? Yeah. And then other people and then other people who, if I'm going to be open about this, there's a lot of people that I have met in my life since I shut down who are going to be like, wait, what now? Yeah. Oh, you're, you're doing it again. You're doing Yeah. And I, I drafted a, um, like a post, like a, a thing that I put on Facebook and Instagram about this. 
And I tell you, I kid you not, the people, the support was amazing. Amazing. And I felt so supported and so loved. Um, but I, I sat on, I mean, I sat on this post of like, Hey, here I am again. I actually do have a lot of problems. Um, and ultimately I decided that this is, I need to do this. I need to do this because, um, I have a lot of, uh, tools in my, in my toolbox, but the one that I have found as I was referencing earlier is being open about this being yep. vulnerable about this, that is really helpful to me. And I don't, I don't even want to pretend to know why, but I do know that the time when I was open about it in 2016, 17, 18, whatever that was, I felt like I was saying, I felt like a piece of authenticness of who I'm supposed to be. Right. Um, and it made me feel more alive. Yeah. And so I did it. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> so you got the acceptance letter in like, the, if I remember right, that was like early December that we got those, something like that. Yeah, I, I, it was early. It might've been, it, it might've been mid December because I drafted, I was drafting my little post for um, Facebook and Instagram bef right before I went out to um, visit my brother in Colorado. Um, and I was on, I was basically boarding the plane to Colorado on, I think it might've been December 22nd when I finally hit the post button. I, I, I did that intentionally, right? I hit the post button and I get on a plane yeah. where I, for, for, <laughs> from Boston to, to Denver, where I, I uh, yeah. won't be able to look at my phone for four or five hours. And yeah. I did that. I did that purposely yeah. and with a little bit of vomit in my throat, uh, <laughs> but I did it. And yeah. as a result, I, 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 I feel again, like moving towards my more authentic self. And I have been open on Instagram as well about, you know, I got a stress fracture because, um, I drank too much. I have an alcohol use disorder. When did you have the stress fracture? Uh, I was diagnosed at the beginning of January, the beginning of and, this January. Yeah. yeah. And the thing about it that was so, was so weird was that my physical therapist, who is amazing, I keep saying that because it's true, um, he was like, I don't understand how you got this. I know what your training looks like. I know what you're doing. Your coach wouldn't make you do this. Like He's like, you're not running. You're not at the end of a marathon cycle. He's like, that makes that makes more sense. He, he's like, what did we do? What did you do? What did you do? He kept pushing, pushing me on it. And I was like, I don't know. And then I, <laughs> I went to see my doc, the sports doc, um, to actually get the verified diagnosis, the sports doc was, went through some things. He, he was very, very, very kind. Went through some things. He's like, well, this is interesting because you weren't at a, like a high trading point. Um, do you, do you get periods? And I, I don't, but that's because I have an IUD, but I, I don't know if I would get one or not. Yeah. Do you, um, this, 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 and this, he went through a bunch of things and he's like, well, and then, what about your alcohol use? And I was like, wait, what now? <laughs> Excuse mm -hmm. me, sir. What? <laughs> what, what, what? Wait, what, what, what do you, what do you mean my alcohol use? What, what are we talking about? Yep. And he's like, oh, you know, that alcohol, like alcohol use disorder basically robs your bones of nutrients. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh shit. Yeah. There it is. Yep. I drank myself to a straight stress fracture. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, 
when this episode drops, you will be 81 days sober to share a little bit of podcast magic. Right now it's the 18th and (laughs) and it comes out on the 22nd, I believe it is. Yeah. Trust me, I know what I'm doing here. Okay. But it'll, it'll, it'll be 81 days, which means that New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, one of the one of the two was, was the last day that you drank. It was the day. It was January 2nd. January 2nd. Okay, gotcha. Now, and you, you get the diagnosis of the stress fracture like days thereafter? Yeah. So what, so yes. So what happened is I felt this thing in my foot. And I was like, this doesn't feel right. And I had an appointment with my PT anyway. And he's like, I don't love the way this feels. He's like, it doesn't make sense that it's a stress fracture, but we should probably get you in to see your sports doc to to see what's going on. And it was uh, the day after my birthday, January 14th, that I got the diagnosis. Um, The other thing about this time is that I often do a dry January to prove to myself I don't have a problem. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and um, I often will wait. My dry January actually usually starts after my birthday. My birthday is January okay. 13th. Dry half January. Dry, but then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll extend it into February. But okay. I, I had this thing in the back of my head of like, maybe this year, maybe this year we don't, maybe we'll just, we'll call it a dry January and it'll be we'll just do that in the back of my mind for just a nagging should I should just do this and so I did and then when I go and see my sports doc the day after my birthday he's like you know congratulations you basically drank yourself and eating uh disordered eating yourself uh to a stress fracture I was like oh you know good for me for not (laughs) for actually (laughs) for actually having a dry January because now it's going to be a I guess a dry life Uh, um it was really hard I can't I I I I don't I, wow, I was, I was, I was really upset. I was really mm-hmm. upset. And my physical therapist called me because he had talked to my sports doc. He's like, we got to, we got to, we got to get you in a walking boot, a shoe, a something. We got to get this under control. Now we know that we have a, you have a uh, stress fracture and he's talking me through it. And at the end of the conversation, he says, what, why, how did this happen? We need to know why this happened. Hmm. And I was like, Dan, I have a really good indication why I'm not talking about it right now. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I understand. And so, but it, I, it, it was, it was really rough. It was really rough. The first couple of weeks of realizing what I had done. I literally, you know, people talk about rock bottom and so I don't know, you don't, I don't necessarily think you have to get to a rock bottom, but as a runner, who was going to run a, a, a May marathon being told that you have caused a stress fracture by drinking and disordered eating. Uh, that was it. I I'm so glad that you said that rock bottom is horseshit because yeah. that was what kept me drinking was that I never lost my job. Never, never crashed my car, never lost my family or anything like that. To me, we, we choose our own rock bottom because yeah. if we keep waiting for a rock bottom, then there's another rock bottom. And it, it like, so I, it's, it's pretty rad that you, that you chose that that was your rock bottom. But yeah, those, those first couple of weeks were yeah absolutely brutal, right? Yeah, they were, they were, it was, it was so emotional, like, so just, I, I immediately sent a email to my therapist and I'm like, I think I need to see you on Monday. But mm-hmm. I'm fine. I'm not in any danger. <laughs> I'm sure the therapist says like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. But I'm like, I'm safe. 
but I need to see you on Monday. And something that I had been dancing around a lot with her was alcohol Mm -hmm. and never really being honest about it. Mm-hmm. And then having to tell her, no, I think I think we have an issue. And she's going through uh, we. She's part of my team. Um, going through <laughs> going through my usage, coupled with how I wasn't eating like an endurance athlete should eat. She's like, oh my gosh, yeah, we got some we got some things to work on here. <laughs> so, yeah. but I was really really upset. I was just beside my. It, it took me probably two or three weeks before I was like, okay, I have a stress fracture. Now, now what? Now, like, mm-hmm. let's talk about the physical p- piece. And, and obviously I'm still dealing, I, I will be dealing with the mental health side of this forever. Um, but the physical piece, I couldn't even get past the fact that I had done this. And I ended I, I texted my brothers. I texted uh, my friend down the, that lives down the street, who's right now is kind of experimenting with with being sober herself i texted all these people because i was in part like what the fuck did i do mm-hmm. and kind of embarrassed about it like mm-hmm. i didn't realize that you could do that but also wanting it to be clear that i think this has to be i wasn't really saying it at the time and i and it, you know it's one day at a time but i think this is like a forever thing i think this has yeah. to be a forever thing because one drink is never enough and my one drink is is probably like a normal like a person who can moderate uh they're like two or three so i don't right. i don't think and i told people i, I at least through my healing i am not going to be drinking and i'm through my healing now mm-hmm. and i'm like i don't i don't know how i can i i know i can't moderate and i don't think that this is a a thing that is ever going to serve me because it doesn't it didn't it doesn't period full stop so yeah i mean so here we are 82 days in or whatever the hell i said before (laughs) 81 maybe the the emotions are burning white hot was was there a point sometime in the past few weeks where that became like acceptable to you mentally that these emotions are burning white hot i i would say it's very organic. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you, uh, on February 27th, um, <laughs> right, it's been like right. a very organic thing of how I have been moving through these feelings. Yeah. Um, and I will tell you though, I have, I often will think things, you know, like I'm, I'm just on fire in the pool right now. Mm-hmm. I'm on fire in the pool because I'm not hung over yeah. and I'm right. And I'm, I'm working to it to fuel my myself like an endurance athlete should. That's why I'm yeah. on fire. And so with that comes like a very warm sense of pride. Yeah. And the reason that, you know, why I won't go home and then drink because I used to often drink after my really hard swimming classes. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> Makes sense. Right. I'd go run 20 miles and be like, Oh, you know what 20 miles is. That's like, that's at least two and a half bottles of wine. Other, right. <laughs> other people are eating cheeseburgers and, and we're, we're buying a 12 pack. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So well, I, yeah, and it's, it's completely unfair of me to ask when did it start feeling better or are you thriving in sobriety yet? Because it, there, there is no clear answer to that. At some point, I reached a point where I no longer craved a drink. I no longer felt in danger. However, right now, full disclosure, I have an NCAA tournament game on my phone over here because it is an obsession. And 
yesterday, I work from home alone. I had to be aware of the fact that St. Patty's Day NCAA tournament back yeah. in the day equaled bar all day long. I still have I still have to I have to remember what it felt like when I touched the hot stove. Mm-hmm. It this I mean this is a journey we're going to be on forever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that today, right? Today mm-hmm. I'm good. Today I'm good. Yeah. I would say that most Fridays and Saturdays are rough end of the week. Uh, Saturdays are usually my really long workout day and that equals Rewards. significant amount of alcohol. Yep. I, 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 I try to go back to my why a lot being it, uh, you know, my 70.3 goal or my Ironman goal, or the fact that I <laughs> running has been taken away from me. Um, I try to go back to my why and that feels really good. That feels yeah. really good. Doesn't always work. And sometimes no. I'm like, all right, dog, let's go for a walk. Or, <laughs> you know, um, what, what, what strange concoction of seltzer water and whatever can I make? doesn't always work, but, yeah. uh, I love that. Why? You're so fucking corny and I absolutely love it because that's because that's what I found, too. Yeah. And it, and as, I mean, I, I have a feeling that we can kind of smell our own here, that you and I are wired very similarly. And there is a certain amount of like that, that sort of sanctity or that, I, I don't know, um, pretentiousness of like, remember your why, tap yeah. into your why, that it shouldn't be that damn easy, but there's a lot to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I've written down my whys too, because they're Mm. different at different times. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I have a why list that I wrote down basically the day after I got sober. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I have a why list that I wrote down like 10 days ago. And they're similar. They're similar, Mm -hmm. but there's, there's things on there that didn't appear on the other. Yeah. And being able to pull that out when I'm not a hundred percent is really helpful or a pro con list too. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing. Like, you know, one's never going to be enough. And that means I'm going to be hungover. Yep. And, but writing that stuff down yep. and being able to refer to it. Mm-hmm. You got some great tools. Journaling it, playing the tape forward, yep. the hula hoop. Yep. There, there's a thousand and one tools and a lot of them work. And you find your own tools and you build them in. And then all of a sudden, I mean, are you, are you start again, I'm like gauging where you are, but <laughs> Are you reaching a point though where the tools don't feel like work? Because that's where things got really exciting for me is when sitting down and journaling no longer felt like this arduous task that was required of me. Yeah. One of, one of the things I use and maybe other of your guests have, have used this is a, is the reframe app. I don't know if you've come across that, but that was like at the beginning, I'm like, oh my God, I got to read this stupid like reading mm-hmm. and they're going to make me meditate. And then I'm going to have to like all of this crap that they're going to make me do. And it's like 15 minutes a day. It's not even that, <laughs> but now it's sort of like, <laughs> I, it's really not that big of a deal. And it, like, there's tools in there that you learn and there's like things that help you think through things. But I have now created a, I guess, morning ritual of the first thing I do um, I get up out of bed, I drink some coffee and I'm up like at the crack ass of dawn and I'm by myself. The dog isn't even up. Um, and I will open my reframe app and I'll just go through it and it feel, and I, I actually am like, Oh, what am I going to learn about today? 
what, what thing am I going to learn today? Nice. And so, yeah. Yeah. That reframe thing that, that word in and of itself was huge for me was reframing the mindset yeah. of rather than yes. being like, Oh my God, I'm running away from alcohol. I'm running away from all that pain. It's like, well, what am I running toward towards? Yeah. 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 And I, one of the things that has helped me a lot is not that I can't drink. It's that I don't drink yep. like that. Reframing is words. I'm a, I, I consider myself a word person, a wordsmith and words matter very much to me. Yeah. And so when I, when I re, reframe, how corny is that? But when I reframe the words, <laughs> I, I am totally corny. Oh my God. I'm like the poster child. All the corny things work. Um, you heard it from me. Um, but no, when I reframe the words in my head, yeah. like you might've noticed, I specifically said, I practice law, not that I'm a lawyer. Yeah. And that is, that is specific because I am not the noun. Yep. I do the, I do the verb and I am more than just a lawyer. I am a runner. I'm an athlete. I'm a wife. I'm a sister. I'm all these other things. And saying something like I'm a lawyer really distills me down to one thing. And quite honestly, that's pretty low on my list. Yeah. So words are really, really, really have a huge impact in my brain, which is part of the reason why I've done things like white, write down my why, mm -hmm. um, because then it's this narrative in my head. Well, let's have fun for a second with this one. I don't know if you've heard of, okay. I, don't know if you, I don't know if you've heard of this, but have you heard that like your brain does not recognize negative words, the negative being not and can't and won't basically anything incorporating the word not, I think never goes into that as well to where um, if you were to say, I, I will not drink today. Like if you approach it from the the mindset of like, okay, this is what I'm going to avoid. I will not drink today. Your brain interprets that as I will drink today. Oh yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. That's a thing too. Oh, which again, we get, we get into the territory of it seeming hokey or corny where it's like always like, Oh, the next time that you're going to say, I will not do this try stopping yourself and instead, yeah. you know, refresh, but there's something to it. Yeah. Yeah. I oh God. Let me add that to my <laughs> yeah, list. No, <laughs> <laughs> I know. And it's not something that I use on a daily basis. It's just something else that I'm fascinated with. Um, yeah. that this, you know, this thing between our ears is like the most complicated machine. Yeah. And like even learning, because I, you know, th this is not the longest I've been sober in my life. I've had another bout when I was 90 days. And so I'm, I'm still, I'm still in known, known land. I'm not outside of that territory yet. But the difference is, is that I have a completely different frame of mind. Mm -hmm. This is not a proof to myself that I'm not, a, don't have a drinking problem. This is how do I live? You know, how do I thrive? Going back to that, how do I thrive? Um, and by the way, I'm like doing, I'm, I'm doing the things I'm, you know, doing the reframe app. I'm doing the work. I am, uh, reaching out to a friend of mine who has, is like seven or eight years sober, getting that kind of support. I, I happen to have a recovery coach. Who's one of my coaches, other runners, um, things like that, that are very, very, very different this time around and the knowledge, mm -hmm. the knowledge because I'm a nerd too, right? Of course I'm a nerd. The knowledge of what alcohol does to our brains. Oh, oh my God. Like 
the first time I, I, I actually, I actually downloaded the reframe app in October. I'm like, this is, this is what I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to get. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I did it. Um, and the, I remember so distinctly remember, or, uh, distinctly remember rather, um, reading the thing about how the neuroplasticity of our brains and how we have c- literally created pathways mm-hmm. to drinking. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, <laughs> what? what have I, I was like, I was, my mind was blown. And then I just started, you know, finding other sober Instagram or whatever people that know shit. I'm not just like not random people, but, um, just learning more and more about what this does and like the effect on our bodies. And then I, the, however many days I'm out now, 80, whatever it is, is the level of clarity that I now have, mm-hmm. it's only come in the last two-ish weeks, the level of clarity that I have in my brain and the ability to gr- grab words that I could, I, oh my gosh, um, the thinking. I have to do a lot of thinking for my job and I am just in fuego mm-hmm. with the thinking and I don't have the hangover anxiety. Like I'm like, what in the hell? And so, so these people who just study this stuff, these these scientists actually know. Yeah, of course they do. Yeah. But yeah, it's a very different. I'm coming at this very, very differently. You're doing all the things. You're using the tools that make sense to you. Yeah. You're thirsty for the knowledge. You're finding the knowledge. Yeah. Nerd. And and you came and you came on a fucking podcast and talked about it. <laughs> I know. What the hell? Crazy. Crazy. Well, I'm glad you did. Yeah. I'm super glad you did. Yeah, I'm glad I did too. Yeah, this has been great. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff we didn't even talk about. I've got stuff yeah. on. I got some stuff on my list. So seriously, one day at a time with the intention that we'll do it again soon. Cool. I would love to. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for joining me. We'll catch up soon. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. All right, gang. I hope that you feel empowered to share your story. I hope that you have people in your life who want you to be your best, most authentic self. And if you don't, I'm here telling you, Steph is here telling you that we want you to be your most authentic self. Thank you to Steph Williams for joining me. Thank you for all of you being here. Please share the podcast, share it with your friends and your enemies alike. You never know who could use this stuff. Folks, remember that you can catch me on Instagram at 40,000 underscore steps every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central Time. And until we meet back here or there, remember, folks, if it feels like things are falling apart outside of this space right here, we are always coming together. I love you very much. Catch you soon. Peace. We out.